0: Hi, this is Philip Holland, host of Hope for the Day. I'm so excited that you are listening and you have this to look forward to from today's message. And many of you, I would venture to say almost all of you have. Most of you, probably at least some of you are wrestling with God right now. And what we learned from Jacob from the genealogy is that it's okay to wrestle with God. But know that when you do wrestle with God, what often happens is you get broken in the process. God reached down, and he touched Jacob's hip. He would walk with a limp for the rest of his life because God had touched his hip. Welcome to Hope for the Day with Pastor Philip Holland. As the Christmas season comes upon us, there is much that we can expect. Christmas carols will be sung, Christmas decorations will be hung, Christmas presents will be wrapped and unwrapped, and Christmas cards will be sent and received. But even with so much that we can expect, there is also much that comes to us unexpectedly. Sometimes it is an unexpected layoff, other times it is an unexpected illness or even an unexpected family disagreement. So what are we supposed to do with these unexpected surprises that come to us each Christmas? Well in this sermon series we will be looking closely at the first Christmas and all of the unexpected events connected to it to better understand how we are to respond to all of the unexpected events, which will come to us this Christmas. One that she'd been waiting on, working on for 10 years, even along the way, she'd been telling them about Jesus. The people were more interested in the trucks that delivered the gospel than they were in the actual words that were written in this newfound language of theirs. Well, the woman persevered and she finished, she, she put out another edition, she finished the entirety of the gospel, including the genealogy, made a few other corrections. When it finally arrived, she went to the chief of this particular tribe. And when she went to the chief, she began to explain some of the differences in this second edition, starting with the genealogy. Before she could even get to the other corrections and changes that she had made with the gospel, the, the chief stopped her and said, you mean to tell me He asked her this question. He said, you mean to tell me that this Jesus you've been telling us about for 10 years is a real person? And she said, well, of course he's a real person. And the chief said, I thought he was a mythical character who you had just created for us to learn lessons from. And she said, no, he's our savior. And this is his lineage that brought him to us. Shortly thereafter, the chief would come to believe in Jesus, and then the tribe would follow from there because they realized that Jesus was a real person. Now, that translator underestimated the significance of Jesus' genealogy, but Matthew doesn't do that, and that's why he included it in these first 17 verses. And with that, there's a few things that we need to learn from the genealogy, connections that Matthew makes that would have convinced people in that day, maybe even in our day, to believe in Jesus. The first connection that he makes is this. Matthew connects Jesus to Abraham's promised blessing. The Jewish people knew that they were supposed to be a blessing to the nations, But they didn't know exactly how it was going to take place. They didn't know how God was going to do it. This genealogy has both Jew and Gentile in it. Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 says this, I will bless those who bless you. And this is God speaking to Abraham, giving him this promise, this covenant, this thing that Jewish people attach themselves to. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So they knew they were supposed to be a blessing to all the people. They just weren't sure how. Well, by beginning with Abraham, the reason he starts with Abraham is because it's to a Jewish audience. Luke's gospel is more to a Gentile audience and so it starts with Adam. So there's, all, there, there's objectives uh, in the writing of these gospels. They're gonna be a blessing to all of the people. And so for a Jewish person to believe in Jesus, the Messiah, believe in the Messiah, they had to connect it to Abraham. Now in this day, there were many fake, counterfeit messiahs that were popping up Um, Acts chapter 5, one of those is is actually mentioned. It's uh, Judah Judah the Galilean, uh, for example. He's one of those fake messiahs that people were following that they realized wasn't the true messiah. And so there has to be these connections that are made. The second connection that he makes is to the royal line. He does this three ways in the genealogy. The first is connecting Jesus to King David. Okay, that's very significant. Here's the promise in Second Samuel chapter 7 that connects Jesus, that, that, that connects um, the, the throne that God would establish that would be forever. And then Jesus is obviously attached to David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, and again, this is God speaking to David, I will raise you up, raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, if you compare... Matthew and Luke's genealogies, they're essentially the same or there's a lot of similarities leading up to David and then they they part ways. And the thought there is, is from there, Mary's genealogy is spoken in Luke and more of Joseph's line is communicated to us in Matthew. But again, this is a promise that the Jews knew that a king would come. Now, he wasn't the king that they would expect, but the Messiah would be the king and they needed to have... Jesus attached to David. The third connection that they make is to the identity that Matthew makes is to the identity of the Jewish people. Their identity, like who they were. Some of you think that your identity is maybe like you're gonna be a great dad or you're a, you know, your identity is maybe in a title that you have. Uh, your identity is in, in something, um, a part of who you are, okay? And, and that identity is a part of who you are. And so what Matthew is doing is he's tapping into their identity and part of their identity was Abraham and David. The, major, the most significant parts of the Jewish people's identity was Abraham and David. And for what Matthew is doing is this, is for the people to remain connected to Abraham, to remain connected to David, then they would have to remain connected or get connected to the one that they were pointing to, which is Jesus. The fourth thing that Matthew connects Jesus to is a supernatural birth. They knew that there would be some sort of a sign. And what he does in this text here, I'll read it to you again. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of... Of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And so Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, but it doesn't say that Joseph is the father of Jesus because God is his father. And this is a connection to this prophecy in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And this was a sign that the Messiah would come into this world now one other thing i'm going to share with you from the genealogy and you know i'm going to geek out a little bit for you here we'll go back to this text is back to the royal line deal Um, the jacob had 12 sons two of those sons have royalty attached to them one is joseph which his royalty is connected through his influence in Egypt. Um, he was the one who oversaw the land. I mean, he had power over everybody except for Pharaoh. I mean, that, that, he was that he had that kind of a, a position there in Egypt. And, and so if you look at the... Uh, and then there was Judah, who was also almost immediately um, given royalty. All the kings come out of the line of Judah. Um, Judah is the one who Jacob prophesied would rule over his brothers. And so when the genealogy begins, you have Jacob, who is the father of Judah, okay? So you got at the very beginning of the genealogy, you've got Judah, who's royalty. But then you come down and you don't hear anything about Joseph until you get to hear and Jacob, the father of Joseph. And so what you have is you have a book ending of of this royal line. And if most people in the first century might not have picked up on this, certainly Jewish scholars in that day would have picked up on it, that what Matthew is doing is he is making this really tight connection, using Judah, using Joseph. Again, there were many other people in the genealogy, but he's very intentional about the names he uses to accomplish his purpose, to show that Jesus is the true Messiah. thing that we learned from the genealogy is that God uses real people not ideal people if you look through that those the list of those names and many of them you can go into the old testament and find their stories you realize that they are very compromised people they're the kind of people who aren't perfect they're the kind of people that you wouldn't necessarily expect a messiah to come from they're not just jewish people again they're also gentile people like for example you can look at jacob And the lesson that we learned from Jacob is this. And there are many things that you can learn about Jacob's story. He was definitely a compromised person. But one of the more well-known stories of Jacob is that he wrestled with God. He wrestled with God one night. He wanted God's blessing. And so he was willing to hang on to God until he got the blessing. And as I've talked to some of you, i found that you now, certainly in the past, are wrestling with things. I know of someone in our church who is, wrestling with God over the fact that his wife wants a divorce. Somebody else is wrestling with the fact that they have a child who has a mental disability and they're wanting to know, God, why? Why, why does my child have this condition? Somebody else in our church is struggling with the fact that they had a child who died. And they want to know why God would allow that to happen. Another person is struggling with doubts that they have and they're wrestling with God over these doubts that they've got and they're looking for answers and they're trying to find answers and they're wrestling and they're wrestling and they're wrestling and many of you, I would venture to say almost all of you have, most of you probably, at least some of you are wrestling with God right now. And what we learned from Jacob from the genealogy is that it's okay to wrestle with God. But know that when you do wrestle with God, What often happens is you get broken in the process. God reached down and he touched Jacob's hip. He would walk with a limp for the rest of his life because God had touched his hip. And that was something that didn't necessarily mock Jacob's life, but that was something that he would always look back to and say, that is the moment I knew that I received God's blessing and he had a limp to remind him of that. My point is, is that God will break you when you wrestle with him, but he will break you in all the right ways. The world will break you in the wrong ways when you wrestle with it. Eventually, the world will get you and it will shatter you. But it will shatter you in the ways that you aren't necessarily going to want down the road. God will break you in all of the right ways when you're willing to wrestle with him. And Jacob teaches us that it's okay to wrestle with God. The second person that we see in this genealogy that got my attention is Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. She was a Gentile prostitute on top of that. Sex was the way that she earned a living in the city of Jericho. The Israelites came upon the city of Jericho in the book of Joshua. And as they came upon the city of Jericho, for one reason or another, and we aren't exactly sure why, Rahab had a sense that God was going to give the city over to the Israelites. There were two spies in the city. Word got out that there were spies from the Israelites in the city. And as a result of that, Rahab steps in and she harbors the spies. She keeps them safe. And then she misleads the soldiers in Jericho to go a different direction. The spies of Israel tell Rahab, because you have done this, you and your household will be safe when we take this city. And that's exactly what happened. The lesson that we learn from Rahab is this, that we are always one decision away from getting back in line with God's plan. God's plan was to take the city of Jericho And Rahab was one decision away from getting in line with that plan. And she made that decision. She got in line with God's plan. And as a result of that, she was kept safe and her family was kept safe as well. And I don't know what some of you have done on Friday night or Saturday night. I don't know what you have planned to do the rest of the day. But maybe you come here with some shame and some embarrassment. And you're wishing that you wouldn't have done some things that you did do. Or maybe you've got some plans to do some things that you know you probably shouldn't do. And you don't have to go that route. Your one decision. No matter how far off track you might be, you're one decision away from getting your life back in line with God's plan. I have a friend of mine, his name's Kyle Idleman. Some of you might know him, I'm sure most of you don't, but he leads one of the bigger churches in America and he's written books that imp- that have influenced millions, literally millions of people. Several years ago, he was telling me a story about how his grandfather was not a Christian. He didn't attend church, and this was in the late '40s, early '50s. A new preacher came to this town, as a small town in Missouri, and as was the custom in that day, he went door-to-door knocking and greeting the families, letting people know who he was. We came upon the idolman home, and with that, uh, he and the, uh, Kyle's grandfather invited the preacher into the house. They sat, they talked. And then the preacher found out that they didn't attend a church and he extended them an invitation. He said, I'd love for you to come to church this Sunday. And sure enough, Kyle's grandfather made a decision that day to go to church. And as long as he was physically able, he never missed church after that. He would have never known, how could he have known, that that one decision to go to church And to take his little boy with him, his little boy was playing with the truck while he was having the conversation with the preacher. His little boy would be the father of Kyle. He would have never known that that one decision to start going back to church would lead to a grandson who would literally impact tens of of millions of people for Jesus. He would have never known that. One decision, though, got his life back in line with God's plan. And like Rahab, because catch this, The spies didn't just save Rahab, they saved everyone in her household. When you make that decision to get back in line with God's plan, with what God wants you to do, it won't just impact you, which that's probably enough for most of you. It'll impact everyone in your family as well, the generations to come. And that's what happened with Rahab as she would become a part of Jesus' genealogy because she made that one decision. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. I know that it has been to others. You see, it is through the generous contributions of people like you that this ministry can thrive and get God's truth out into the world. I recently received a card from someone who said, thank you for these messages on Hope for the Day. They are encouraging and refreshing as we get the opportunity to hear biblically centered teaching that continually points people to Christ. And that is just one of several notes that we have received of those who appreciate the teaching here at Hope for the Day The third thing that we learn from Ruth is this, is that Ruth teaches us that in Christ everyone belongs. Ruth was a Moabitist. A Mo, the Moabites were people of incest. The Moabites were people that were cursed. Moabites were outsiders to, to the Israelites. The Moabites were considered an unclean people group. Ruth was married to a Jewish man. That man died and Ruth stayed connected to her mother-in-law and went back to the land of Israel with her her mother-in-law's name was Naomi and Ruth cared for Naomi. This impressed a man there by the name of Boaz and then Boaz would reach out to Ruth and ultimately the two would marry. But Ruth was a woman that went into a land that she didn't belong to. Ruth was a woman that went to a place where she was an outsider and maybe that's something that some of you feel like. Like you feel like you're an outsider. You feel like you don't, you don't feel like you belong anywhere. You don't feel like you connect anywhere. Um, I, I've gone through counseling, um, lots and lots of hours of counseling. Uh, another story for another day. I won't, I won't bear all that out to you today. But one of the things that came out of the time that I, I spent in counseling was that, wow, I did, I've never, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Yeah, you know, and part of the reason, as most of these things do, they go back to your childhood. We moved around quite a bit and lived in a few different school districts and I didn't live around friends, my friends at school. And so it just didn't necessarily it didn't foster an environment in which I was ever going to really belong. And so my belonging came through earning that by playing sports and that's how I connect with people. But once sports were over, how do you belong? Well, you don't. I never felt that way, at least, until I became a Christian. And what you find in Christ is that we all belong. Like when you truly enter into this free, saving grace that you don't have to earn your salvation to receive, when you enter into that, what you find is it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you did on Friday night or Saturday night. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what, what your salary is. It doesn't matter what your title is. The thing is in Christ that we all belong. And Ruth belongs because in Christ we all belong. The last lesson that we learn is from the third set of 14. It teaches us that God uses people like us. The third set of 14, there are three sets of 14, okay? The third set of 14 is a rather interesting grouping of names. Let me read it to you. Sheatil, the father of Zerubbabel. These two we know about. They helped to rebuild the temple after the exile. From Babylon. So we know about Sheatil and the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathon, Mathon the father of Jacob, and Jacob, as I alluded to earlier, is the father of Joseph. Here's the thing about this grouping of names. We don't know anything about this group. They are a historical footnote. The only thing we know about them is that they are a part of the genealogy that ultimately brings Jesus into this world. They're a part of the genealogy that ultimately points everyone to Christ. Their purpose isn't found in a title. It isn't found in their possessions. It's not found in their accomplishments. In their historical value their contribution to the world comes back to pointing others to Jesus. 2,000 years from now, we will be lucky if any of us is even a historical footnote. We'll be lucky if we're even that. But what we learn from this is, what matters is if we point people towards Jesus, is if we're living for him. Because when we live for him, that's where our value can be, can come from that when we focus on him when we focus on bringing him more into this world then we can make an impact that truly goes on for centuries and even millennia because if you just live for yourself you won't even get this but if you can live for God the least thing the one thing that you can know at least is that you're going to make an impact that's going to go for generations and generations and generations to come What Matthew wants the Jewish people in the first century to do is to say yes to Jesus. And he goes through this genealogy to begin to foreshadow the fact that God has said yes to them. And he said yes to all people groups. That's why in Matthew chapter 28, he says, I want you to go to all the nations and make disciples in my name. Matthew 1 foreshadows, a gene- God offers us a genealogy of all people that foreshadows a commission that we all need to take. And so what God wants for all of us in the same way is to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to the fact that we belong. If you believe in Jesus, you don't have to keep running around like you don't belong, you belong. To say yes to his plan, to say yes to that one decision that you have to make, to say yes to serving, to say yes to giving back to him, to say yes to his purposes, to say yes to not necessarily making a name for you, but making a name for him. Because what's important isn't the name that you have, but the name that you live for. To say yes. Because God has already said yes and amen to you in Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious heavenly father, we are grateful for Christ. And Lord, help us to be a people who point you, who point towards you. And Lord, may we bring Jesus more and more into this world. This is an unlikely path that Jesus went on to get to us. And Lord, I no doubt we all have unlikely paths that brought us to this place. But Father, help our path to be for you, whatever it may be going forward. And we give you all this in Jesus Christ's name. Well, unfortunately, we have to bring today's message to a close. But my hope is that the word that was spoken was an encouragement to you. That's always our hope here at Hope for the Day. Did you know that these messages are recorded at Valley View Christian Church every Sunday?